Hey guys, it's Matt here, and I got a story for you. When I was a kid, I was playing hockey, and oh man, there was this one year, this one team, we could not beat these guys. They were all over us. There were competitive games, though. They were tight, but we just could not beat them. And I remember the last game of the year, it was up against this team, and we were gearing up. We were like, we have to get these guys. When we won that last game, it was so satisfying because we finally got the victory over the team that had dummied us, that had dominated us for so long. I think this is the same thing with sexual brokenness, with sexual sin, where there's been brokenness in our lives and the enemy has come and taken ground and he's dominated us for so long, but we get to make a difference. We get to be part of a message and a a mission of freedom. It is such a cool opportunity. So I want to invite you, men and women of any age, to be part of the Action Squad. The Action Squad is something that we're putting together right now. We're looking for 100 people to be on the Action Squad. There's going to be some competitive nature to it. There's prizes. And we're going to work together to help produce a documentary that is literally going to change the world. We're featuring stories of sexual brokenness, of people who have been restored and redeemed, reconciled to God and to people in their their lives. And we're going to feature these stories in this world-class documentary that will be a resource for churches to host movie nights, for small small groups to watch together, for families to watch and be inspired by. And it's going to highlight the problem in the church, but also show the, the power of God that is at work when we bring this stuff to light. And so if you want to be part of the Action Squad and help us put this documentary together, I would love for you to go to restoredministries.ca slash Action Squad. You can watch a 10-minute video there that I put together on what it can look like for you to join us in this mission and be part of putting this documentary together. So restoredministries.ca slash Action Squad. Hope to see you there. Welcome to the Pure Victory Podcast, full of hot tips to help you win at sex, conquer porn, and find purpose in staying free forever. Here are your hosts, Matt Klein and Braden Hafner. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Pure Victory Podcast. Braden here, Matt here, and I have a special guest, my dad, sitting across from me. I'm so proud that he's here, and we're going to talk about his life and his journey and his story today. And the reason why, I mean, we, we try to have reasons to these podcasts, right, Matt? <laughs> um, but the reason why is because his story, I really felt after hearing more of it, you know, and I knew a little bit growing up, but um, just recently, when my dad, we were sitting down and he was just sharing more about it. And I just thought, wow, there's something to this uh, that needs to be shared. And why it needs to be shared is because, you know, often for those of us that are, say, struggling with porn, going through a dark time in our lives, we feel like we're stuck in a prison a prison that we just don't see beyond those walls. Um, we, we just don't know how to break out of that, how God can meet us in the middle of that. Sometimes we feel forgotten, like someone threw us in the cell, threw away the key and forgot about us. And that's why I'm sharing this story today because my dad actually met Jesus in a literal prison. <laughs> that's where he became a believer, a Christ follower. And I wanted to share this story because there's so much hope in this. And I'm just so proud, Dad. Thanks for being here with us. Yeah, you're welcome. Good to be here. I think a lot of people, they want to know why one gets to a life of that leads them to prison. <laughs> and um, so maybe just, Dad, what, what happened in your life growing up that maybe got you involved with the wrong crowd, the wrong people, and um, kind of got you into that, that bad state of, of life? a big question. Emotions was a a big part of it, I think. I didn't grow up with her understanding emotions. Parents didn't talk about them at all. And so I could go to and fro as far as my thoughts and my actions and directions. I'm uh, kind of a rowdy guy. 
I like being rambunctious and rowdy and I just ended up going the wrong way and uh, kept going that way. I had a, a death in the family that really rocked me at age 21. My sister and her husband were killed and that set me off for another long, difficult journey. That would definitely set you off. That sets off a lot of people and you got that big, big booming trauma. I guess we even we even talked about that a couple of weeks ago on the podcast and, and dealing with trauma and that's a huge one that people deal with. But I guess people are probably wondering too, like what, what happened leading from that that you did that uh, where you found yourself sitting behind bars? Well, I just drank a lot and, you know, I, I grew up with alcohol. It was on the table all the time and it was just... Uh, a progression for me starting in grade six where I started to drink and parties and it just kept drawing me in deeper and deeper to the point where you know I started doing some stupid stuff. That led you eventually to hanging out with certain kind of people right where you getting involved in some things and eventually you broke the law and you got caught. What was it like for you when that happened? Did it jar you like what am I doing or was it like you just didn't didn't have any thought about that? Yeah that uh when the judge said, uh, you're going to prison, uh, it, my life changed. It rocked my world completely. And I was numb for a long time. Yeah, I didn't know how to handle it. Again, the emotions, they just weren't there for me to deal with it. So, Yeah, we find that a lot with people. It's that the emotional awareness, emotional maturity. I mean, Brad and I talk about it all the time for us. Like, we got to keep on growing in it. But a lot of people don't even address it or know that it's a thing. But I find it interesting that you just talked about you would you know booze would be on the table and you'd start young and then it kind of got worse and it's the same even talking about pornography or sexual addiction or temptation like you know it's not it's not too bad to scroll social media it's not too bad to just check people out at the beach or whatever we do but we allow these things into our life and gradually it just becomes more and more normal and it gets more and more extreme and so then you get to that place where the judge says okay you're going to jail and all of a sudden like often you can kind of relate it to somebody where it's like all of a sudden their wife catches them all of a sudden their wife wants to leave all of a sudden their kids catch them and their relationship changes like kind of those those, those moments where you could call it rock bottom or your eyes are opened or whatever you mm -hmm. say but what what did you do there like uh, there, typically there's two responses if somebody doesn't want to own it they become a victim and they start blaming other people but then the, the better response when someone's really broken is to own it. So when, when you heard those words from the judge that you were going to prison, what did you do from there on? Well, I knew that I needed to make a change, uh, although, the, you know, that was back in the, in the subconscious kind of thing. I remember uh, being in handcuffs and uh, coveralls and the garage door closing slowly, and I thought maybe I could bolt because uh, I had the chance, but I didn't do that. And uh, I just, I was numb. You know, you go into the courthouse and you don't go out of the courthouse except in a paddy wagon and you're off to the prison you go. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah so I was, I was just very numb. Right. And that's, you're, you're free. You're on the outside and all of a sudden that freedom's gone. What was it like when you walked through the prison doors? I know you mentioned to me, you talked a little about the spiritual heaviness that you felt there, but you know, describe that moment. Like when you realize I'm in jail. You know, honestly, I don't know if I've told you this part, but the, one of the very first things I did is I walked around my perimeter. I needed to know where my boundaries were. I didn't know where my freedom, well, there's no freedom. I didn't know where I could go or not go. And so I walked around the edge of the prison where I could walk without any consequences. 
And uh, that was the first thing I did. Yeah, it's wild when people kind of get that rock bottom moment or their eyes are open. And, you know, some people it's like their world is falling apart and there's so many consequences in their life. But then still inside, they're like, oh, yeah, but I have peace. Like, I don't have a secret. Everything sucks, but like I have peace at least. There's that that internal feeling. But then, you know, there's still that that numbness that you got to work through, the grief that you got to work through. And so it's a, it, I just want to encourage people that it's a process when you're going through it and you've been exposed or you have to confess what you've done or whatever your situation is. It, it's not an overnight thing. Like it's a process of learning. And I think the, the Lord wants to be so near to us and understand that even when we don't know that he's working, he's working. And so when you were in in prison, Dave, the Lord was working and he was setting you, setting you up in a pretty cool way. So can you just explain that? Like how did how did that come about where you met Jesus in prison? Sure. Prison is a violent place and I was not liked after a while and I got beat up because I was not in a safe place in that part of the prison. They stuck me somewhere else and I had to go to the hospital for some stitches and that sort of thing. Then I was sitting on my cot in my uh, in my unit and this guy came in, the door opened, the door was right beside my, my cot. And this guy named Basil walked in. I was down, I was out, I was at the bottom. I couldn't go down any further. Uh, that was it for me. I had no hope whatsoever, no life. It was just, it was totally, completely rock bottom. I used to say that I wasn't at the bottom of the barrel. I broke through the bottom of the barrel and kept going. But this man that was barely five feet tall, if he was five feet tall, walked into the room and my bed was right beside the door he came through and he had a guitar case and that's when God showed up. What I saw was Basil walking towards my bed which was just a couple three four steps but I saw God or I saw the Holy Spirit or I I saw something that I had never seen before. I was an atheist. I totally did not believe in God. And it was like, well, we'll say it was the Holy Spirit. And uh, it was kind of like Linus with Peanuts in uh, the Charlie Brown, Linus with the Charlie Brown uh, comics, you know, where he had his... Yeah, the squiggly uh, lines. Yeah, that. Uh, the, his his uh, blanket, blanket over his, yeah, but and then, the then you squig- could see the yeah. dust. Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's what I saw, only it was very beautiful. And the instant I saw it, instantly I had peace, I had hope, I felt loved. I felt safe, and I was just happy all of a sudden. It was a joy, and Basil sat down right there on my bed and started opening up the guitar case and stuff. But what I did see is uh, when Basil was walking towards me, the Holy Spirit covered him, but not the front of his feet. Uh, It was like he had to walk. He had to go and do the ministry of evangelism. Uh, in the prison there but the Holy Spirit covered him and went with him but he had to do the walking the front of his feet were not covered with the Holy Spirit but the rest of them was and when he sat down I think maybe he sat down on a chair right beside my bed and he opened up his guitar case took his his guitar and there was a Bible there and of course I, I was an atheist I didn't believe but in that moment I did I didn't know how to believe I didn't know about Jesus but I grabbed, I, I, I went for that Bible and I grabbed it. And I grabbed it and put it to my chest. And then I thought, oh, you know, maybe I should ask. And so I asked him if I could have it. And he said, yes, very much, yes. That was the beginning of that. 
And then we sang some songs, the old songs, the old Rugged Cross, Mansion on the Hilltop, Amazing Grace, all those old ones. And I'd never sang before. And some of the prisoners, some of my uh, roommates slash prisoners laughed at us and they mocked us and they snickered and, and I didn't care. I was, I was good. I, I had hope, I had peace, I had love. It didn't matter anymore. I wasn't afraid. Uh, that was my very first experience. And Basil didn't understand this. He didn't know this was happening. None of the other inmates saw it. It was just something I saw. So that leading up to that point, I know we talked a little bit about your state of mind. And so you see this amazing vision of God's power mm-hmm. moving through Basil. And just to give you, like Basil was a, like a guy who did prison ministry. So he would go into prisons and yes. and, um, and and just do outreach to uh, the inmates. And my dad was one of them. So, but you, you told me some stories of, it was just such, so darkness. So that light must've just been brilliant. Cause you, you told me some of the stories of some of the things you saw, hey? like people being beaten up or even the spiritual heaviness. Do you want to describe some of those stories just to help us understand the darkness of your mind that you were before you saw that light? Sure. Prison is an evil place. Satan resides there. Uh, Most of the people in the prison are angry people. I was angry. I didn't know how to figure myself out and I was angry. And that's why I drank a lot and all that stuff. But some of the experiences I saw in there, just some examples of, of the violence. There were three guys in my unit, bullies. They would decide to, on somebody and they would go to him after the guards left in the morning. They'd bring the food and then they'd come back and take the empty trays. And then these three bullies would then pick on one person. They would jump on him and they would beat him. Probably not for more than a minute or two, but there's six fists pounding into this guy. And that would happen until the guy broke. Sometimes they would go on suicide watch, 24-hour suicide watch. Sometimes they would finally get to the point where they're being released. And this just went on and on and on. Uh, one, one guy after the other. And then one day, they told me it was my turn. Uh, just for no reason, they just, they just picked somebody. And I thought, oh, okay. So I knew the next day it was going to be my turn. And I had no idea how I was going to respond to that. One thing I was grateful for was the fella next to me, the prisoner next to me. I still remember his whole name, but he came to me and he said, Dave, I will be there with you. I still didn't know what it was going to look like. I still didn't know what was going to happen, how I was going to respond, if I was going to respond with violence back or just take a beating over and over. And when they beat these guys, they didn't beat them in the face so that bruises would show up. They beat them in the body where their bruises would be covered up because if the guards found out, then then that just caused more trouble. So the next morning came, and it was the same routine. The guards brought the food. They came back, took it away, and then I waited. All of a sudden, the guards came back, and they grabbed these three guys, and out they went. And they went to a part of the prison where the most dangerous prisoners are. I was there just very briefly. I don't know why, but I was there briefly. It was kind of like Alcatraz where you had your own little cell. And it was electronically operated. And these three guys ended up in that unit. And they were harassed and threatened with their lives by the rest of the prisoners in that unit. They slept underneath their mattresses because they had feces thrown at them and urine 
and utensils. They were teddy bears three days later when they came back into our unit. And they never did bother anybody ever again after that. Mm. That was one story. And that was just uh, God taking care of me, protecting me. Because nobody said anything. and Nobody talks. You don't do that in there because that just gets you beaten up some more. Another story was the same guy that was beside me. He got beat up by those three guys. I think it was just by two of them. And he was angry. And in our dining room, one of the legs on the, on the oak table was loose with the bolt in behind at the top of it. And so he was able to take that leg off. And it was kind of like a baseball bat. It was thin at the bottom and thicker at the top with the bolt sticking out. He told me that he was going to kill those two guys. They slept side by side in the cots. That night, I was shocked and scared spitless about the violence that was going to take place. I woke up in the morning. I was shocked and I was surprised and I looked and Teddy was gone. Oh, sorry. That's his name, Teddy. He was gone. And I wondered what happened. And it turns out that he got caught with the leg in his hands over top of these two guys. He was just going to hit them both in the head and and, uh, kill them. So that's just another example of the violence. There's another fella that uh, was hardly five foot six five foot five thin but very very tough very angry i walked into the dining room one day he had a guy that was probably 50 pounds heavier just to give you an idea off the floor against the wall choking him with his feet dangling and that's just that's just life in there there's another time a guy got a you know a dumbbell and you got that the, the steel bar that holds the the weights they snuck that out of the gym and when the guy was sleeping, he got cranked on the head with that, and he never woke up. Mm. And stories just go on and on and on. There was a guy on Christmas Day that got 125 stitches in his head when he got beat up in the gymnasium with the blocker of a, of a goalie mitt. With the blocker, they just, they just went after him with his head, and I don't know what happened to him. But the violence is constant, it's steady, and it went on and on and on. Another experience I had when I was there, and it was later on, it was when I was allowed to go back to my job on a daily basis. I would just get suited up in the morning with some clothes. A family member would come and pick me up and take me to my job. And I'd work there for the day, and then I'd come back. And that happened for a month, month and a half, maybe even two months. I'm not sure exactly how long. But here's an experience I had, and I have no idea why, even to this day, why I had that experience. But I can tell you when I go back to this experience, when I think about it, if I'm ever doubting, if I'm ever doubting my faith or if I'm doubting God, I go back to those, that experience that I'm going to talk about, plus the one where God revealed himself to me. Uh, what happened was once I get back to the prison, they have to do the whole thing. They strip search you and, and, they, uh, and then you get your clothes back on and you go through one door, locked door, then another, then another, then another. And finally, I got to my unit. And this happened three days in a row where when the guard opened the door and when I went through the frame, the door frame of the door, I, I experienced hell. And by that, I mean, it was a hot, fiery wind that was very evil. I just experienced the skin on my skeleton burning and melting off. And then it would burn and melt off again. And it just happened over and over. It felt like an eternity, but it really, it was like a, 
a, a tenth of a second or half a second at the most. But I ex- just experienced this hell and this hot, hot wind that was blowing on me. And it was very evil. It happened three times in a row. The third time, that's when uh, when I would go through the doorway, then it would stop. It's like going through a, you know, like on Star Trek, when you go through from one dimension to another, it was like that. That's exactly what it was like. The hell I experienced, in, in my opinion, was the polar opposite of what I saw with the Holy Spirit. One extreme to the other. It was, it was hell like I've never experienced before or, or since. And on the third time, when I went through the doorway, I stopped. And I looked around and I could see and feel the evil, but a way lesser degree of evil. Not when I went through the, through the door frame. That was the, the most and the most extreme. But then I saw and felt the evil. Then I could see, yeah, Satan really is here. This is his domain. And I remember, too, when I was so happy. I would be in and I would start whistling because I'm at work now and I'm getting near the end of my sentence. And I would whistle. And then the guys would, would threaten me, with beating me up. You don't whistle here. You're not happy here. So you were like listening to this is stressful. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah. you probably were very stressed out, lost, hundred percent, like hopeless feeling that. So that's the context of when you see Basil come into your cell and you see this light that just bright. It's just yes. so evident. Yes. Um, so after that happens for you, when you meet with Basil and you grab that Bible, you sing your songs, how often did you see Basil? Like, did you receive Jesus at that point or what was it? What was the process for you with that? He came once a week and I always look forward to it. The Bible that I had taken from him, that it was a gift anyways. Uh, he told me to read, uh, start with the book of John, read a chapter a day. So I was very faithful and I did that. And after a few weeks or so, he had an appointment with me outside of my unit in some other small unit, kind of like you see in the movies where you know, you talk between a screen with the telephone kind of thing. Only it was in person. We were we were together, and he that's when he introduced Jesus to me, because I didn't know that Jesus had to die for my sins, and I accept that and ask him into my life. So he he walked me through that, and I did it then, and uh, yeah, that was just that was really awesome. What a beautiful moment when you get to meet Jesus. That's, that's it's amazing. Uh, Brad was telling me something about when Basil walked in that that maybe the first time you met him or whatever. But he, I think he was almost on the verge of quitting and not coming. Is that correct? It is. Uh, now we became friends uh, later after I was released. We stayed in touch with each other. We were able to share stories because he did not know about this experience I had with God and with the Holy Spirit. So I shared that with him, and he told me. That very day, he was halfway to the prison, and uh, his wife was questioning him about the ministry there because uh, a couple of inmates, when they when you go on a daily temporary absence or a daily TA, he would pick them up and they would go out and just have a day together. And a couple of times, the inmate actually took his car and took off. And one time, it was it was wrecked, and he hadn't apparently had any good positive experiences for a long time so his wife was questioning the ministry and so Basil being the man he is he was 65 roughly at the time and retired halfway to the prison he was going down the big hill he told me he started complaining to God and what I like about that is that 
you know, sometimes we complain to each other or to somebody who doesn't really want to hear about it. But Basil didn't do that. He complained to God, which is, I think, a very mature thing to do. And he just let it out. He said, God, what about this? And what's going on? And why, why, why? I don't know. And when he was done complaining, God said to him one word. And that word was go. Uh, I get really emotional. What Basil didn't know is that he had an appointment that day, a divine appointment. And that was me. And I just uh, thank Basil to this day for being so mature and and being willing to uh, listen to God and, and, and go, not knowing what was going to happen next. So that changed my life and it changed his life. Yeah, no, I know. I know that friendship that you had with Basil was a special one, Dad. And I even remember. I mean, I was little. I think when you went to the funeral, I don't remember being there. But you, you told me, you know, recently what that funeral was like with Basil. How impactful that was for you because Basil had made such a difference in your life. Yes. Do you want to just talk about that? Sure. Uh, I had to go by myself. I can't remember the circumstances with you and and Mom, but so I went myself to the funeral. And after the service, I went into the foyer of the church, and there was dozens of people milling around. There was an open mic, people talking about Basil. Even even the either the Bantam or the midget hockey team, that he was still, on, he's 85, 86, 87 years old, roughly. He's still on the bench with these kids being their uh, minister and, and showing them Jesus. Uh, those kids were at the funeral. But what happened to me was I just went to the corner near the front entrance and I sat and I literally bawled and bawled and bawled. And I mean, for probably 15 minutes, it could have been longer. I just bawled. The The pastor came to me and he said, are you okay? And I thought about it because I'm just bawling. My, my face is completely wet and my lap was even completely wet. I was just bawling non-stop for such a long time and I told him yeah I'm fine and then Basil's granddaughter came to me concerned are you okay I think yeah yeah I'm good and it took me a few years to figure out exactly what I was feeling but I know I wasn't sad that it was gone it wasn't that I knew that then I was okay with that I knew that I would be I'd get to see him again one day and spend lots and lots of time with him but what it was, was I was just full of joy, full of thankfulness. I was incredibly thankful that Basil continued down that hill that day and met me there that day and the experience that I had because I knew that without him doing that, I was destined for hell. And so I was so grateful, just beyond words, beyond anything I can tell. I, I bawled so much that it caused people to be concerned. I missed the open mic. I never had a chance to talk. It was, I was there for so long. And then, you know, I just kind of packed up and went back home. But uh, I'm just so thankful to you, Basil. I know I'll be with you one day. I'm looking forward to meeting you. I know one of the first people I will be meeting when I get there will be you. And I just love you and I thank you. Yeah, I remember meeting Basil, Dad, when I was little and... He was a short man, but man, he was a big man in, in stature as far as 
his love for Jesus. And, um, you know, I think that that's just so powerful, um, what you just shared, because sometimes I think we think we don't matter or we don't make a difference, but there's a guy that just being obedient, God used in such a powerful way. So I echo that. I thank Basil for what he did here. And um, I'm thankful because it impacted eternity for you and for me as well. Yes, yes. And I'm just thankful that he did what he did and uh, where I am today. And this is the first time I've ever shared a story like this. I know that God always has a plan. He takes bad and he turns it into good. And he uses it for his purposes. And this is one of those times. It's so powerful to me. It's such such an amazing, dramatic experience that you had with the Lord. But one thing that I just love so much is that you heard, you heard those words from the judge. You went into the courthouse and you didn't come out. You were in jail. You were an atheist. You didn't mm-hmm. even know God. Correct. And God was setting it up. He was sending somebody to you. In the meantime, even he had somebody else. He had another guy in the in the cell say, "Hey," or in the jail say, "Hey, if you're gonna get beat up, I'll be there with you." Like he he gave you support in going through the process, knowing that he was setting up this huge divine appointment for you to drastically change your life. And I just think about people who are in spiritual prisons or prisons with addiction or with sin or lower literal prisons, and we're just grinding it out, going through. When am I ever gonna get free? There's you know people coming at me. There's thoughts of shame just coming at me beating me up and we've got to lean on brothers and we've got to lean on sisters knowing that the hope that we have in Jesus is that he will come through he will you know provide a way out of the jail that we're in and so I just think it's so powerful you sharing the story of what led to that encounter with Basil I love it yeah it's a it's a fond memory even though I was at the worst time of my life and I couldn't believe every day I woke up I was in prison it's still still thankful for being there and having that experience when i hear that story i'm just so so blessed dad when i hear that story because like often we think that these moments just affect us but basil was affected and then later in life i was affected because Mm -hmm. you met jesus and it changed my life too changed your life my mom you know like your wife, <laughs> but uh, like it, we, it transformed and touched so many people. And I think that's what God does is he works in our lives to be not only a difference for us, but for a difference for others as well, that um, the relationships that we have. What's that one thing that you tell me? I remember you mentioning this about your life, specifically about jail. Um, and I loved it. Would you just mind sharing that? One thing I slowly learned with that experience is that my crime didn't define me. I learned that God's grace was enough for me and that it uh, set me free from the shame and the guilt and, and you know, the all the bad stuff I used to do. The grace set me free. That, t- that was a process for me. It didn't happen immediately. But over time, I became more free and more free and more free from my past and to the point where it's where it is. It's gone. It's done I've got my present and my future to look to look forward to. And knowing too that that God is there. He always has been there, always was, even when I didn't see him. Yeah, it's really powerful. And I've known this too. There's points in life where you just look around and you you it seems like you're alone and forgotten and that the walls are closing in and it, you just don't know where to turn. And God is there. Jesus is with you. And sometimes it takes 
us being in a literal prison like you were dad to see that but for many of us out there you're in a place right now where you don't know where tomorrow is going to come from if there is hope for tomorrow if you know you, you might feel really down and dejected because maybe you are battling an addiction maybe your relationships are falling apart maybe you made some choices based out of an addictive pattern of lifestyle that you don't know how you're going to come back from that and you feel like there's no hope no one could love you no one could accept you and i just want to tell you that's not true you know when i yes. heard the story yeah right Dad, like when i heard the story of what you went through how in the midst of a dark and dungy, hopeless, evil prison, God met you. Jesus walked through the door and he used a man like Basil to just show you love and kindness. And you thought you were forgotten, but you weren't. I don't know if you have any words for people out there that might feel like you did, Dad. Is there anything you'd want to tell people that maybe feel that way? I know I had uh, an experience that, that most people don't get to have, but... With, with God revealing himself to me via the Holy Spirit with this this cloud, this this beautiful thing that had the fruits of the Spirit all over me all at the same time. That's not a normal thing. And I know I've had people in the past tell me they wish they could have an experience like that. But one thing I want to say to those people that don't have an experience is in the book of John, uh, he talks about, uh, Jesus is talking about Thomas how Thomas doubted. And what Jesus said is, blessed are those who have not yet seen, but believe. And see, I, for those people that are never had an experience like I had, they're blessed. You guys are blessed because you haven't seen what I've seen. It took more for me to see and believe than what it takes for, for you, for most people. For me, I, I needed to see more. I was an atheist. I never would have believed without a, an experience like this. So for those of you that haven't had anything like that, you're blessed. That's really true. <laughs> uh, for some of us, we need to see those things in that level. And God brings us to a point or by our own choices, we, we face this terrible area of life that we never thought we'd be uh, inhabiting, but then God meets us there. And for some of us though, we, we believe um, um, by seeing much less than that. So that's a very good point. But I guess the point of this is that I always love this is that God has no favorites. He pursues each of us. Yes. No matter where we are. Some of us have been in a literal prison and he met you there. Some of us, um, maybe you've done the right things. You feel like your whole life and you feel like you're still forgotten, but you're not forgotten either. God is pursuing you. His kindness is pursuing after you. Jesus is there for you, just like he is for us here. And, you know, wherever you're at in life, he's pursuing you. He's in the midst of your mess. He's in the midst of your life, whatever you're feeling, what you're going through. He hasn't forgotten you. And that's why this story is so powerful, because even when you think you're you're lost and forgotten and that nothing can reach, you know, the, what's going on, maybe reach your heart or even get you out of that situation, there's hope because God's pursuing you. And that's why we wanted to share this story of what, you know, my dad's been through because he, he, he does, he seeks out after us. We just have to be willing to respond. And maybe for some of you out there, this podcast is a way that God's speaking to you. Maybe there's someone in your life that's speaking to you right now. Maybe you, there's, there's whatever situation happening that you just need to be open your eyes a little bit and see that there is a God who loves you and is pursuing after you. Something else that uh, I think about with this experience and for all the people listening, what I learned early on was to be real. I know that we, we can have shame and, and guilt and doubt and 
all these things, but with God, he already knows. So I have learned through my uh, Christian walk to be real with him. Sometimes not always with other people. You're not sure if you should or not, but God, you can trust. And I have learned to be real uh, with everything with him. And when you are, that's when he can show up and do something for you. He's always there, like Braden is saying. And sometimes you just don't see it, and you never will see it. It's your faith that blesses you. Because of your faith, you... you anyways, being real is, is really important and, and honest with, with God. You do that, you're going to experience God. I, I promise you that. You will experience God. That's so true, Dad, and thanks for sharing that. I'm just so glad that this story is getting out there. You know, I heard this growing up and even more as I've gotten older with you, and I'm just so thankful for how God met you and it showed his love for you and and then showed his love for me through you as well as you raised me. So thank you for being open and willing to talk to God, give him everything, you know, that uh, you're feeling, what you're going through, to be honest with him and to be open because then he'll meet you and Thanks for doing that yes. and, and, and receiving what God had for you. And I just want to say for all of you out there, you know, there's a purpose and a plan for your life. Even if you think that it's not there, um, just be open to what God's doing. Maybe what he's speaking to you right now um, or in the coming days, just be open and be willing to to pray into these things, you know, no matter what you're feeling, no matter what you're going through. So thanks for hanging out with us today. And we hope for you that this has been a blessing, this particular episode. It has been for Matt and I. And thanks, Dad, for being here. Yeah, you're welcome. And thanks, guys, again. We'll check in with you next week. Thanks for listening. If you would like to hear more, please visit purevictorypodcast.com to subscribe. This podcast was made possible by the generous donations of our subscribers. If you would like to help support the cause financially, once again, please visit purevictorypodcast.com.